what is happening to the human's consciousness who's undergoing like surgery like that say if that same part that you have cut stores the face and name of his or her mother you're cutting through that memory mm-hmm. to get through to that tumor everything you go through it's not just whether memory is stored there or not you may be going through an area that is connecting a and b when you cut through that possible that you may lose some aspects of your memory some aspects wow. of your, you know you could i mean not always and you never know because you know the main memory will continue you know people after tumor surgery are living normal lives and everything else but we don't know what they've lost inside do they know what they've lost inside probably Even not they will not know because <laughs> you don't know what you don't know then. yeah well, you don't know what Elon Musk had autism as a kid but this man is the richest man in the world today and he changed the way the world thinks a minor version of autism is something called attention deficit uh, hyperactive disorder some of these people could not get through college and school they didn't chose not to whether it's bill gates or steve jobs so they didn't they didn't graduate from college but they had a brilliance that was different it is the evolution of the human species exactly it's our first episode with a surgeon a brain surgeon to be precise this is dr alok sharma I think this episode will appeal to everyone who's into any of our health-based conversations of TRS. This will appeal to you if you're fascinated by the world of biology and it will definitely appeal to you if you're just someone like me who's all about accumulating further knowledge. He's a subject expert. So we didn't only speak about the brain or neuroplasticity or neuroscience. We also spoke about the future the near future of biohacking everything from stem cells to genetic modification in this one from one of the leaders of the medical fraternity in india this is dr alok sharma on trs Dr. Alok Sharma, welcome to TRS. Thank you, Ranveer. It's great to see you. <laughs> you know, you're the first uh, surgeon that we've ever had on oh, the really? show. Okay. Yeah, we've not actually had a surgeon before you. Mm-hmm. We've had a neurologist, Dr. Sid Warrior, mm-hmm. who helped us understand the mind a lot mm-hmm, better. Mm-hmm. And I feel like every human has that one subject that they're more interested in okay. than other subjects. Mm-hmm. For him, it was neuroscience. Okay. Is it the same for you? Absolutely, absolutely. You're a lot. into neuroscience as compared to all these other things you do and you do a lot of other Actually, things in as fact, well before i mean you know like uh, just prior to mbbs i people you know pe- somebody asks you what do you want to do you say i want to become a doctor i want to be an engineer and i should say i want to be a neurosurgeon even before i entered medical college so i was very clear what i wanted to do why the human brain and mind fascinated me there's something very fascinating something very mysterious and it's the brain and mind that makes us who we are we are different from all the rest of the living creatures on the world because of our planet and each one of us is different you are different from me and i am different from you not because of what's in your muscles or your bone or your skin it's because of what's in your brain so the human brain has always fascinated me so then i chose to make that my vocation okay yeah. how does it feel for the first time when you open up a skull and then start oh, operating yeah, it's it's, on that it's, pink it's, tissue it is it is it is an awesome it's even today after all these years it's overwhelming you know it's uh, it it feels very special that you know you get an opportunity to actually get up front and close with the most sensitive the most powerful and the most mysterious creation on the planet there is nothing more fascinating on the planet than the human brain and to have the privilege to be able to do things with it uh, it's a blessing do things with it oh yeah you do things with it you operate if there's a tumor you remove it if there's a blood clot you remove it 
you know, uh, in kids who have, uh, you know, autism and cerebral palsy and people are paralyzed, I do this thing called stem cell therapy or cell therapy. So it's, you know, being able to modulate the brain and the mind, that's fascinating. It's, it's something no matter how much you do, you sort of uh, never get over it. It's, it's exciting, it's thrilling, every day is a new day. Okay. Um, I have some very raw, stupid questions probably. How do, no break open question. a, <laughs> how do you break open a skull? Oh, so that's, that's not very difficult. What you do is you uh, make holes in the skull. So when I started doing neurosurgery, it was mechanical. We had a drill, you know, we used to go around, you know, <laughs> drill, 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 drill. Now everything is, of course, uh, electron, they're electric drills. So you make holes, you know, make hole one, hole two, hole three, hole four. And then there's electric saw where you connect the holes. And the skull opens like a flap. Just flip it open and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like you're making a door in the skull. Yeah, exactly. You're making a door in the skull. Yeah. Okay. So you choose a position. Uh, oh, depending on where you want to go. You know, if it's a tumor you're doing, if the tumor's in the front of the brain on the right side, then you open the door above that. So on and so forth. So you have to open the door exactly where you want to work. What's the weirdest thing that's happened to you during a surgery? Weirdest? Um... <laughs> No, nothing weird. You can't, uh, you can't have anything weird happening when you're dealing with the brain. Nothing weird can happen because everything is planned. You, you can't make any mistake. There's no scope for error there, you know. So everything is planned, structured, and you go according to a method. So nothing really weird could happen. But the weirdest thing I have ever done, okay, and that's on record, it's published, is I've removed the largest amount of worms from the brain. And that's so big, you know, my hand, I don't know if you can hear this much. So it's published in a scientific paper, worms, you know, worms, okay. The worms collected and formed cysts and there was a person whose half the skull was full of worms. Wow. And you had to go in and take out this big, uh, I'd love to share those pictures with you, Sami. You see it and you get blown. <laughs> like this was in the brain. <laughs> you know? And the guy's alive and doing well, you know. So I have on record the largest, the largest collection of worm cysts removed in the world, you know, is done by me. What did that guy do to get those worms up there? This is, you know, these are worms which come, you know, from... Uh, fear factor. Yeah. No, was he on no, fear no, factor? No, 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 no fear okay. factor. Okay. It's the food you eat, the water, you know, worms come into your intestine. Sometimes they reach the brain. And when they reach the brain, they, they form cysts and then you have to remove it. So this was like a really large collection. So that was the weirdest thing I've ever done because, you know, you... Can you imagine what it's like you open the skull and you have literally, literally a palm full, one palm full, this, this collection of uh, worms, which you take out. That's weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's published in a paper as well. So probably that is a scientific paper. I think you answered that question well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. Uh, is this the reason you're supposed to get dewormed once a year? That's what they say, right? Like I remember this from biology textbooks. Yes. Like, yes everyone should, should take a deworming Everyone pill. should take a deworming once a year. But if it's made its way to your brain, does the deworming still hit the worm no, it inside does, your you know, it, Well, if you deworm, the worms won't get to the brain. So it's a preventive thing. Okay. And everyone probably has worms. Oh, obviously, if you, if you live in the city, all of us will have worms. Yeah, you know. Really? Yeah. So it's just a healthy thing to get dewormed once a year? I would say so. I would think Damn. So. <laughs> okay. How did you realize before the CT scan of the same person hmm. that it's likely a clump of worms? Like, was he behaving strange or 
No, it was he was no. He came with symptoms of headache and you know a whole lot of race pressure things. But the worms had broken through the skull actually. So the 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 thing was so large that the skull had broken open, and so he had come with this weird swelling. Uh, you know, so we suspected, but we didn't know till we did the scan. You yeah. suspected worms. Yeah, because it it did fit. It, it, it's just the picture. It was weird, you know, and and there was a history in the past and all of that. Uh, I want to ask you a lot more about the future mm. because I feel on the internet we keep talking about AI, NFTs, crypto, mm. 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 all these very internet savvy things, but mm. not too many people are talking about biotech. Mm. Like all these advancements happening in your world, mm. uh, in the world of medicine, in the world mm. of doctors. Mm. So um, maybe a great place to begin mm. would be a very quick mapping out of the neurological body of a human being. Mm. So correct me if I'm wrong. There's a brain, there's a spinal cord, mm-hmm. and there's a nervous system that mm-hmm. uh, is spread all across your body. Mm-hmm. Is it made of like the same tissue, roughly? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. that's basically Similar. what. It is. Yeah. So when you're a neurologist or a neurosurgeon, you're kind of dealing with that same one tissue. Yes, that's right. Okay. Until now, it was believed that you can't regenerate any of it. Mm. And we've shown that you can. How do you regenerate it? Okay, so. So, like I said, in the 1980s, when I started reading about it, you know, there was nothing. There's no drug, hmm. there's no medicine, there's no injection, and there's no surgery. See, all the other tissues in the body, like the skin, you know, if there's a cut in the skin, you can suture it. The heart, you can stitch. The intestines, you can stitch. The bone, you can fix. Everything you can put together except the brain, because the nerve cells, once they're damaged, you can't, can, there's no way you can stitch uh, the brain or the spinal cord. You can do it to the nerves uh, in sure. the hands and legs, but you can't do it in the brain and spinal cord. And that's what led me, that's what led my mind to think in an alternative path, you know. And uh, for this, I have to give a little credit to my teachers. So one of my teachers uh, at the KM hospital, uh, Dr. Manu Kothari, he was a professor of anatomy. Uh, he was he was unique. He always taught one thing only. And his whole thing was, do not completely believe the written word. Whatever's written in your text is what somebody's written. It's not necessarily the truth. Question it. So from the very first year when we entered medicine, you know, and I got to know him closely and I used to spend a lot of, you know, like this conversation, I've had lots of conversations with him like this. So he had a completely alternative way of looking at everything, including cancers. And the thing that don't go by what's written in your books, what everybody believes is what everybody believes. There's a difference between that and reality. Find your own reality. And I think that fundamental training has has been responsible for a lot of what I did. I think joy is a great place to begin yeah. a neuroscience conversation. Happiness, yeah. joy, yeah. success. Yeah. I actually think success is an overhyped word. And Absolutely. it's much more about the daily joy and happiness you feel. Absolutely. Uh, which is why I want to ask you about stable relationships. Now, this could mm-hmm. even be stable friendships that you've mm-hmm. maintained throughout your life. Mm-hmm. Are there neural patterns that are formed because of a steady romantic partner or a steady friend group? Like when you're growing up and growing old with the same boys or girls that you were with in school or college, mm-hmm. does that does that kind of a brain structure become a happier brain structure? If those same neurons are firing? Okay. So, uh, there's a very interesting question and you have to understand that apart from neurons, there's also what is called neurochemistry. So, we have a whole lot of chemicals in the brain, neurotransmitters, neurochemicals, and they are responsible for a lot of what you're talking about. 
So, you know, when you are in a new relationship, okay, there is a certain set of neurochemicals that are, you know, that are created, which lead to, you know, the excitement, the thrill of a new relationship. And these by, uh, and these are well-defined, you know, they're actually well-defined. So in fact, love has been completely explained through neurochemistry, you know, it's, it's a fairly long thing and I wouldn't want to go into the details, but there's a set of chemicals that is responsible for the initial excitement and thrill of a relationship. Now, this naturally tapers off. You know, it cannot sustain. And it's then... Dopamine systems. Now, the next is, so the dopamine and oxytocin, the, the, these, there are some hormones which are responsible for long-term relationships where there is warmth and companionship and, and friendship and togetherness. So there are two sets of neurotransmitters, those responsible for the initial excitement and those responsible for sustenance. Now, what, what happens is, where, you know, we expect the same, you know, when you, when you, when a relationship or a friendship starts, you expect that same excitement to continue forever. It cannot, the neurochemistry will not permit that. So it's very important to shift into the more dopamine, oxytocin, the more warm, caring type of friendship and relationship, uh, because it's all got to do with the brain. Uh, so it's just understanding that what you start off with cannot last forever. You have to bring that shift. So this is all completely explained by neurochemistry. Okay. Uh, so initially, you're more dependent on dopamine and oxytocin to feel excited about your relationship. And then later, is it about serotonin? Yeah. So it's it's actually, a, it's a, actually there are about 15 or 20 chemicals. Oh. You know, they're all different chemicals. Okay. But I'm just, to make it easy, broadly, I divide it into two. Okay. The initial excitement and the sustenance, the caring, the warmth, togetherness. They are, they are two separate sets when we understand that. So once we just understand that, that every relationship has to shift from one to the other for it to sustain long. If you expect the initial to remain, then the relationship will break down. Okay. Is there a difference in the structure of the brain or the working of the nervous system in someone who's been in a long-term relationship? No, not in the structure, but definitely in the neurochemistry. So definitely. They're happier people in general? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's the basic consensus. Yeah. So it's, it's again, it's a balance between, okay, so I'll explain to you, the, the brain itself, there is what is called the higher brain, that's the cerebral cortex. That's the brain that's responsible for the thinking, the logic, that's the brain that uh, makes us human. And then there is a, a brain inside, the uh, lower brain that is similar to the brains of animals for example right so if you take away our cerebral cortex our brain is very similar to that of um, of a horse or a dog or a cat you know uh, so we call it a hot brain and a cold brain you know the hot brain is the impulsive brain so you know hunger thirst sex uh, you know thing you know anger all that comes from lower and there's a higher brain that tells you what is good bad right wrong what to do consequences and this a, a lot of unhappiness comes because the, there is a mismatch between what these two brains want. Okay, Explain this more. For example, uh, you know it is good to wake up. Your higher brain will tell you it is good to wake up early and do, do a morning walk and do yoga. Okay, Your lower brain will want you to sleep. You know, you understand. Uh, your, you know, so, so the lower brain is dependent. We call it the hot brain and the cold brain. The hot brain goes by instant gratification. The higher brain thinks of the long-term consequences. Animalistic lower brain versus yeah. humanized higher exactly, brain. Exactly, yeah. Now, these, so these are two brains. They're both our brains. They are both our brains. They are not different. But it's just that structure. So humans have, see, we have evolved from lower animals. Okay. 
I mean, there were, life started, you know, there were fishes and then there were amphibians and then reptiles and then lower mammals and then us. So our brains have also evolved, okay. We are the only ones to have a higher cerebral cortex, the only ones. The capacity to think, the capacity to plan ahead, you know, Mm. the capacity to execute, that's with us. But this, the lower brain is still the same. It's the instinctive brain, you know. It's like, you know, for example, you know, you know, some junk food is not good for you. Your higher brain tells you it's not good. Your lower brain is hungry, wants to eat it, right? Mm. You may know that, you know, particular form of tobacco is not good or, you know, uh, uh, you know some uh, a drink is not good or too much drink is not good. But at that time, you just want it. So it's this mismatch between the two. And now, diff- you know, meditation, yoga and all that is supposed to give control of the higher brain over the lower brain. That's the whole purpose. I don't believe that one should do that. I think one what one needs is harmony. The lower brain is our brain as well. It's not a lower brain. It's actually situated lower. It's not actually a lower brain. But yes, it is very similar to the brains of animals. So one needs to, once you understand that you have these two, now you can bring about balance. You know, you can actually make judgments knowing what is controlling you. What is the call to action here for a college student who's thinking of their lower brain and higher brain? Is it to meditate? Uh, no, it is to have a, so again, I'm going to keep, you know, once you have a clear idea about what is it that you want to do, then your higher brain automatic, there's a balance between the two. Okay. So if you know that you have to study to do well in an exam, now doing well in your exam, I'm just using that as an example. If it is important enough, your higher brain will automatically overrule the lower brain. When your lower brain wants to sleep more. And your higher brain says, get up and study. Okay. If what the higher brain wants is important enough, it will automatically override the lower brain. So in other words, having something important in your life to do. I mean, if you you can't, you know, it's difficult to, you know what? To, uh, today's, today's kid, you can't tell them sit and meditate. Nobody wants mm-hmm. to meditate. Okay? <laughs> There's a quote I read once that helped me a lot to oh, stay disciplined oh. through my fitness journey or my meditation journey or my uh-huh. business career. Mm-hmm. It's a simple quote that I think encapsulates yeah, yeah, exactly yeah, what yeah, you're yeah, saying, yeah. which is that, okay, the quote goes, discipline is choosing between what you want now oh. and what you want the most. Exactly. Very same true. thought? Absolutely same thought. So, and and there's, a, there's a neuroscience to it. What you want the most is the higher brain. What you want now is the lower brain. So there's a neuroscience to what you're saying. It's basically you reworking that same neural pathway. If you have a long-term goal, it's one neural path. Keep reworking it. Absolutely. And eventually discipline becomes easy because you realize, oh, that's where I have to be anyway. Yes. yes. So it's you got the it right. actual neurological life hack for a happy life. Excellent. You got it right. You said it perfectly. <laughs> I think that's what Gaur Gopal Das said about the core message of the Bhagavad Gita as well. Uh-huh. He said that life is full of ups and downs, uh-huh. but your sense of purpose will get you through. Absolutely. Correct. Perfect. So what I'm talking about, having a definite chief aim in life, sense of purpose, but I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to structure it more finitely. Sure. You know, just saying have a purpose is very generalized. Mm. And today's generation, like what purpose? I mean, you know, but if it is definite, it could be anything. It could be trying to save the white horned rhinoceros in some African. It may be that, you know, sure. uh, it may be trying to find a cure for cancer. It may be work. It may be anything, you know, okay. uh, but it's got to mean something to you okay. because then your higher brain takes charge. What does the brain look like when you cut open a skull? Oh, it's very soft. It's uh, it's like 
so we try to avoid areas which are what are called eloquent you know there are there are some parts of the brain that we we believe aren't that important okay but you're right everything you go through it's not just whether memory is stored there or not you may be going through an area that is connecting a and b okay and when you when you cut through that you you know it's possible that you may lose some of that it's possible lose what some aspects of your memory some aspects wow. of your, you know you could i mean not always and you never know because you know the the main memory will continue you know people after tumor surgery are living normal lives and everything else but we don't know what they've lost inside do they know what they've lost inside probably Even not they will not know because <laughs> you don't know what you don't know then. yeah well, you don't know what you don't know so have you seen someone's personality change after brain surgery uh, yes they do like what uh change you know very often family people say that the person is different you know this is say a different now the person who is uh, especially we notice this after accident accidents so you know, we have a lot of because uh, uh i i devoted a significant chunk of my life working at the sign hospital ltmg hospital and there we get the la- used to get the largest number of accident patients and uh, people do tell us that uh, you know even if you save their life the person is different afterwards This is a different, you know. <laughs> But like what? Like you mean less talkative? Usually? No, it's different. It's different for everyone. So yeah. it could be even like angrier. Yeah. In fact, that happens more often. Yeah. Really? Like someone becomes angrier usually yeah, after they, brain I mean, surgery? They, they, uh, not always. I mean, not always. Uh, but the thing they they are different. For example, they may be a little more reactive. They may be a little more less tolerant. They may be they may be quieter sometimes. So. each patient is different and um, you know this has to be but you know as far as we are concerned when somebody has a tumor that's going to kill them you just you remove the tumor you save their life and as surgeons we sort of well we saved your life okay and then unfortunately overall our medical system is not structured to go into these aspects you save somebody's life that's it okay now you know you go home and take your radiation chemo or whatever else and but uh, yeah these things do happen these things do happen and Conversely, pre-surgery when someone's just starting to develop a brain tumor, uh, what effect does it have on that person's mind? It depends on which part of the brain. So we have a we have you know we have a frontal. There's something called the frontal lobe. We have a parietal lobe. We have an occipital lobe. We have different lobes of the brain. Each lobe has got different functions. So depending on where the tumor is, uh, people will have different symptoms. Like maybe your hearing goes away, your eyesight goes yeah, away exactly. suddenly. So we have a tumor at the small part of the brain called acoustic neuroma. So there, the hearing goes away first. And uh, if your tumor is in the front part of the brain, that will affect your personality. You know, like what's uh, the worst case of personality switch switches you've seen because of a tumor? Ah, uh, many. You know, I mean, like completely different. It's so varied. No, it's so completely varied from uh, uh, some people develop like obsessive compulsive neuro. I mean, they're 
they've come to us with psychiatric. Very, very often, you know, these patients are with a psychiatrist who, with psychiatric disorders, and they do a scan and they find a tumor. Um, you know, it could be just causing depression. It could be causing abnormal behavior. There's so many things that may happening. Not just in the mind, even physically, you can have a weakness of the hands and legs. You could have vision going. Uh, if it's in the front part, you could have loss of smell. So they're like different combinations of what brain tumors can do. Damn, loss of smell. Yeah. Something you don't truly associate <laughs> with the brain. You associate always with your nose, nose and. Yeah. Huh. What, what else have you found out about the brain after you've become a neurosurgeon that you didn't know? Uh, yeah, that the brain has tremendous, um, it has got plasticity, you know. It so, can change. Yeah, it can change. So we've seen people with severe damage, severe damage uh, recover, you know. Uh, and this is something I, uh, I've specially focused on. So earlier I used to work with patients who had gone into deep coma, after head injury and then we tried uh, to first stimulate them with uh, something called uh, stim you know neurostimulation we used to put electrodes into their cervical spine and then there's a pacemaker we would continuously give electric currents and um, you know this would give electric these are people in coma okay um, so we tried that we didn't get very good results we got some results but not very good results and you know that apparatus was very expensive it was this is something developed in japan called dorsal column stimulation. Uh, but now with my current speciality of uh, cell, stroke stem cell therapy, we've found some amazing improvements. We've got this, uh, this kid, I mean, he's just, you know, the most phenomenal story. This, he was like, what, uh, 22 years old and he was a shippy working in a ship, 22, 23. And he was on a height somewhere and he fell down. And then he went into, he fell and he was in deep coma. Complete, totally non-responsive, totally. What is the biology of going into a coma because of a fall? Uh, the, the All of the brain gets damaged, but especially the, you know, the, there's a lower part of the brain called the brain stem that is responsible for our consciousness, for our awakefulness. Your medulla so, longer? Yeah, uh, exactly, the medulla. You know, you know about the brain. So the okay. medulla and the pons and the midbrain, these are called the brain stem. So when the medulla is damaged, you lose consciousness because there is something inside that called the reticular formation. And I shouldn't get too technical no, about no, this. No, get technical. <laughs> what, what is it? The reticular formation. So in the brains, in the medulla, there is a network called the reticular formation. And this is responsible for us being awake or not being awake. So when you sleep, your reticular formation switches off. When you're awake, your reticular, it's like the switch to keep you awake. Or, now it's permanently damaged, you go into a coma. That's like a permanent sleep. So anyway, this kid who's... So they went all over. They went to all the hospitals in Mumbai. They tried all the treatments. And then for about a year, this kid was completely in coma. And then they came to me. And everybody had told them nothing can be done. And then we, I did uh, cell therapy for him, stem cell therapy, along with hyperbaric oxygen. We gave him deep oxygen therapy, ozone. But but his uh, reticular... It's completely gone. Okay. Fired. He was in coma, complete. No what responsiveness. Mean, what do you mean fired? Inflamed? No, damaged. Damage. I mean, physically damaged. Yeah, whatever. You know, the... So... And... Um, we worked, and of course, I have to give credit to his father and uncle. There are two people who gave up everything. This kid is from Lucknow, and he came to us, and day and night they worked on him. Day and night they worked on him. And we gave him cell therapy a couple of times. We gave him oxygen-based therapies, hyperbaric. We gave him ozone therapy. We did a lot of physiotherapy. And over a period of almost a year, this guy has become fully conscious now. He's fully conscious. He's talking. He's reading. He's, you know, uh, ambulatory. I mean, this is... It's, 
you know, this is what happened to Michael Shoemaker. You know, Michael Shoemaker, the driver, you know, he actually had a similar fall and he was, uh, but that unfortunately happened 10 years ago. So I don't think we can help him. He's now. still in a coma. He's right? still in a coma. Skiing accident. Skiing accident, yeah. But a similar thing with this guy, we've got him out. Okay, this is this is miraculous. This is the power of cell and stem cell therapy to be able to recover the damaged brain, which was unthinkable. And, you know, the story you should... Somebody actually do a story on just their life. I mean, this is a story of grit, determination, not giving up. The whole world tells you, you cannot save your son, but you do not give up. Anyway. And then, you know, they found us. We And uh, after some time, their company stopped, uh, you know, the treatment was to be paid by the shipping company and they stopped paying. And, you know, but we continued to treat him. We said, okay, doesn't matter. You know, we will not, we'll not take anything from you, but I, I'm going to make this guy, you know, get back. And he is today. You know, if you, uh, he's, he, I just, yesterday they sent me a video of him, you know, sitting up and talking and everything else. So it's what was earlier believed to be impossible is now possible using cell therapy. What did he say first when he woke up? Uh, he woke up over a period of time. Okay, He woke up, uh, I mean, not, he didn't wake up like one fine day. Okay. He woke up over a period of time, but now he has a full conversation. He, he remember he knows me by name. He talks to me, you know, he asks questions he wants, you know, because he's, over the years, his hands and legs, everything have got very tight. And so he wants to know when he'll be able to walk. And, you know, he asked me those kind of intelligent questions. So it's, what did he make of the time span that went by? Oh, he doesn't remember that. Yeah. So does he remember the fall? No, he doesn't remember. No. <laughs> he doesn't, you know, the, that part is, is gone. You know? Imagine just waking up one day. Hmm. You don't even know what's happened to you. And your arms but, and legs. But he knows, he knows, uh. So, uh, so interestingly, you know, when you, we, we, so we, when I talk about his future, what he wants to do, I actually asked him, do you want to go back to the ship? He clearly said, I do not want to go back to the ship. So he, he has, he knows something happened on the ship. He was on the ship when he fell. So he's, I mean, he, he reacts very strongly to it. No, I do not want to go back on the ship. That means he remembers the ship and something went wrong. He doesn't remember anything in between that. Wow. Okay. Um, are you working him up to being exactly what he was? Does yes, he will be. He's exactly he's, he's almost be. like you know seventy percent there, and uh, he's going to get back to what he was before. Yeah. Let's take a deep dive into stem cells. Yeah. From literally the one hundred and one till mm. whatever it is in twenty twenty three, up till what it's going to become in ten years time. Mm. Uh, I think only one or two people on this show mm. out of 500 episodes have ever even brought it up. Mm. Uh, Chris Gethin, mm. who's a, a world around trainer, brought it mm. up because mm. he said that all his inflammation on his tennis elbows, shoulders mm. went down because you take stem cells and you inject yes. it into yeah. those joints. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a treatment that follows over mm. the course of one or two days. Yeah. And eventually that joint heals. Mm. A lot of my friends, even myself, like I've been weight training for a while. You do end up getting inflamed joints. Mm. So I know that that's one of the most basic applications. And the only other thing I know about stem cells is that, again, please correct me if I'm wrong. They're found in babies' umbilical cords. Mm -hmm. And I believe they're found in your bone marrow. That's right. Am I right? Absolutely. You extract them from your own bone marrow. Mm -hmm. Stem cells are the cells that can become any other cell in your human body. Very accurate. Yeah. Uh, It can also become a nerve cell. Absolutely. But you guys have only figured out how to turn it into a nerve cell in the last 5 to 10 years. Yes. Longer than that. Yeah, okay. But I mean, like application wise, probably in the last five to 10 years, which is why I said the Michael Schumacher thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so you extract it out of your bone marrow. Yeah. And then I don't know what happens. I don't know what happens in your lab. The story of stem cells is fascinating. Okay. It's, 
it's not just what's happening now it's what the future is going to be right when i was a medical student what i'm already doing now would come under science fiction then if in the 1980s we spoke about this it would be pure science fiction but it's happening so what exactly are stem cells now in the world of medicine we have two broad treatment interventions we have drugs medicines pills injections okay and we have surgery you go you cut remove something suture so there's medicine and there's surgery now there there are many conditions where there are no drugs that can help and there's no surgery that can help of all of these the most important are in nervous system diseases because neurological conditions the the brain and the nervous system does was believed to not regenerate so once there was damage there was no drug you could give and there was no surgery you could do now in the but stem cells are cells which not being a drug not being surgery what they do is they repair damage in the body biologically you know so it's like imagine if you have a, if you have a cut in your hand how your wound heals that's a biological healing right so stem cells help in biological healing right not as a drug not as a surgery but cell to cell interaction this is the way the body had meant to heal it's a natural system of healing now we have stem cells in different parts of our body but they take care of the normal wear and tear so you have a certain injury here there and the local stem cells will help heal it local stem cells i mean do you have stem cells you have stem cells in the brain you have stem cells you know in your hair you have stem cells little they're very small amounts they're just for the local wear and tear okay but if there is a severe damage like if you have a, a brain injury you have a spinal cord injury in adults there are some uh, in adults there are some conditions that are potentially fatal one such condition is something called motor neuron disease something that stephen hawking had you know the famous scientist from from cambridge there was no there was no solution to this you know these people just died but because there was no drug and no surgery but now with the availability of stem cells we can actually help them but the really more exciting area the area which is now in the last few years become my focus is actually children because in children there are certain neurodevelopmental disorders such as autism cerebral palsy uh, intellectual disability where the brain from birth itself okay is not functioning appropriately and because of that there are a whole lot of symptoms that because of which these children cannot lead independent lives now the thing about autism and this is something the world is just not recognizing you know the, there is something in the usa called cdc center of disease control they are the ones who give all the statistics on covid and everything else they've got the most accurate figures in the world on disease and if you just see the figures of covid 10 years ago 1 in 160 children had autism okay i'm to uh, cdc figures on autism 3 years ago it was 1 in 54 children 2 years ago it was uh, last year it was 1 in 44 this year it is 1 in 36 okay so from one from one child out of 160 children having autism 10 years ago to one in 36 today is a phenomenal increase at this rate in the next 20 years every third child will have autism why now, is this happening now that is a million dollar question because it's got to do a lot with multiple things there are you know there are multiple factors there some very controversial 
some, uh, you know, not clear. So it's got to do with lifestyle. It's got to do with a whole lot of things. There are some people who said vaccines are responsible for it, but that's, again, very controversial. It's not something in the medical, we talk much about. There's talk about mobile phone radiation causing it. You know, there is talk about modern diet causing it. There is, there is, there's conversations about, you know, people having children later in life because, you know, the older you get, if you have children, you know, the, your your child is more likely to have autism. So the, the causes of autism are many. And so biologically speaking, what happens in an autistic brain? Yeah, exactly. So this is something we've done pioneering work on. We were among the first in the world, surprisingly, despite the fact that there is such a high incidence of autism, nobody had really looked deep into the brains of these children to identify which parts of the brain are not working. And we actually did this research. There is now newer brain imaging. See, uh, earlier we had just CT scan and MRI scans. But now we have something called PET CT scan, positron emission tomography CT, in which, uh, which shows you which parts of the brain are working normally, which are working less, and which are working more. All right. And it's a color scan, so it's easy to, you know, the green color is normal, blue is working less, uh, yellow is working more. So we have identified that, you know, you know, these areas, the deep area of the brain we are talking about, the limbic system, the medial temporal lobe, and the small brain, the cerebellum, we have found because we have done scans in over 3,000 children with autism. And we actually have clearly identified almost for the first time in the world, which parts of the brain are not working appropriately in children with autism. And we've published this in a scientific paper in what, a World Journal of Nuclear Medicine. Was it the lower brain, the animal brain that was not uh, very yeah, active? absolutely. So that means the higher brains are much exactly. more. Active. Exactly. Which is why this whole angle about autistic kids being geniuses. Exactly. Wow. You know, Elon Musk had autism. Do you know that? You Google him. Elon Musk had autism as a kid, but this man is the richest man in the world today and he changed the way the world thinks because these people have, and I, I'm, you know, I'm so happy you picked this up because most people don't pick it up. You looked at what positive they have. The whole world is looking at what they don't have. And, you know, Albert Einstein had autism. You know that, okay? And many of, many of our big tech geniuses who run some of the biggest companies in the world, they had, they didn't have friends. You know, a minor version of autism is something called attention deficit uh, hyperactive disorder. And then there is learning disabilities. You know, now, some of these people could not get through college and school. They didn't chose not to, whether it's Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. You know, they, didn't, they didn't graduate from college, but they had a brilliance that was different. Maybe it's the evolution of the human species. Exactly. You know, this is exactly what I've been talking about. And people don't, this is the next step in human evolution. Because, and how do we know it? Because when we do the scans, we not only find parts of the brain which are which are not working, which we sort of anticipated, but there are parts of the brain which are working more. And we actually found, and this is shown in our published paper, that the brains of children with autism actually start functioning higher in the earlier years. You know, they are functioning more than what is called neurotypical children. And then they decline. So now we don't use the word normal anymore. We say neurotypical. People like you and me are neurotypical. Children with autism are neurodiverse. There's a, there's a change in the mindset that, you know, just like somebody can be tall, somebody can be short, somebody can be fair, somebody can be dark, somebody can have a brain that is like what we have and somebody can have a brain like a person with autism. So we use the word neurotypical, neurodiverse. But normal kids actually start off lower but then proceed to grow. So what we found is that when we give these children cell or stem cell therapy, 
that blue part of the brain, which was the blue, it's not actually blue, it's on the scan appears blue. It's called Slight. hypometabolic. That's brain that's little less active, functioning less. That this gets activated, this gets repaired, and this becomes functional. And once it becomes functional, these children don't just start leading what is called normal lives. They all have something peculiar, different, unique to give to the world in which they completely excel. Things which are unimaginable, things that you and I cannot even imagine, now start functioning. So first, you know, to go back to your question, how do stem cells work? So you answer it yourself. The first thing about stem cells is that when the stem cells have the ability to multiply, okay, and when they divide, they make a copy of themselves, another stem cell, but they also become any other cell of the body, depending on where you put it. So if I take a stem cell and I put it in the in the nervous system, it'll become a nervous cell. If I put it in the muscles, it'll become a muscle cell. So depending on where you put it, it becomes that. So this amazing property of converting into other cell types, okay, and the ability to multiply, along with that, what they do is they release certain positive chemicals in the body called growth factors. These help in the healing process. They also attract fresh blood towards them called angiogenesis. This combination of being able to multiply, to divide, to release growth factors, to get fresh blood, they reduce the inflammation in the body, they modulate the immune system. There are several mechanisms. Basically, this helps repair what is non-functioning. And once you and there was, there's no drug that can do it. There's no surgery that can do it. Now, you mentioned about bone marrow and umbilical cord. So I just want to clarify that. Broadly speaking, cell or stem cells are of two types. What is autologous? That means when you take from the body. So from the body, you can take either from the bone or you can take from the fat. These are two areas from which you can uh, actually get stem cells. Then there are stem cells which you take from. Now, so autologous is you take from your own bone and put it back in the body. Allogenic is when you take from somebody else. Okay, so for example, the umbilical cord that connects the mother and baby at birth, this is very rich with stem cells. So there are companies that go and collect this. Normally, this is thrown in the garbage. In some children nowadays, in fact, most children, they actually save it. You know, so if you save it, you can use it in the future for, your, for the same child. But there are other companies that collect it from everywhere and they package it and it's available as a, as a package sort of umbilical cord thing. So this is somebody else's cells and then your own cells. Now, we don't use the package umbilical cord because I believe your own cells are much better than somebody else's cells. For one, your body. For your body. Because one, they are your own cells, so body will accept it. Two, it's fresh. There's no preservative. You know, you, you just take, what we do is we take from the bone marrow, we filter it, we run it through machines called centrifuges, isolate the stem cells, and when the few hours, put it back. Whereas those are preserved, they belong to somebody else, they are cryo, they're frozen, and they add a preservative. So if I ask you, which is better? Take an orange and make fresh orange juice or have a canned orange juice, you know. A fresh orange wow. juice is better. So that's the difference between umbilical cord and what we do. That is autologous. Now, the thing about autism is that once you repair, you know, and so, and the, and the other thing, very important, what we do, autologous, we can inject it in the spinal fluid. So, you know, our brain, uh, it continues down as the spinal cord. And surrounding the brain, there is a fluid called cerebrospinal fluid. It's a fluid that circulates, con you know, it's continuously circulating. So what we do is with a little needle prick, we inject it into the lower back, into the fluid, because this fluid carries it to the brain. And when it goes to the brain, 
the part of the brain that's not functioning properly or that's damaged, it pulls the stem cells towards it. Automatically. Automatically. The, the normal brain doesn't, it's like, you know, let's say you are hungry and I've just had food and, you know, somebody comes here with food, what's going to happen? You're going to make a grab for it. I'm full, I won't take it. So the body's like that. You know, the body tissues are, they're not greedy. The, the, the parts that don't want it will not pull the stem cells, but the damaged parts will. And there's a lot of research to show that the stem cells home in uh, to the damaged area actually uh, has the stem cells come to them. So we inject it in the spinal fluid so it goes directly to the brain. Now, the umbilical cord cells, because they have a preservative, you cannot inject it in the spinal fluid. You have to give it intravenously like an injection. Now, when you do that, it goes from there to the heart, then to the lungs, from the lungs back to the heart, and then the heart sends it to the brain. So there's a long journey. And in fact, a lot of these stem cells get trapped in the lungs. So for the first time in medical history, you know, there is now a solution for autism, which is affecting one out of 36 children in America. In India, the figures are about one in 100. But I think that's because we aren't picking up enough. I mean, the documentation is not so, mm. so solid and concrete. Actually, I think the incidence is much more. Why, why do you think it's much more? No, it'll be... Much, the much official more than, than the, India, okay. No, no. Uh, the official figures for India is one in a hundred. Official figures for America is one in thirty-six. I think because they are more, they document more properly. Here, a lot of kids in the villages and all that, it will not get diagnosed. Sure. Now, what is you know what is a matter of great pride for me, like serious pride, is that the world's first scientific PubMed index paper on the role of cell therapy in autism is published by us. Okay, the world's first paper. The second paper came from China, the third from Italy, the fourth and fifth came from Duke University, America. Now, that is something nobody can take away. There can only be one person who climbs Mount Everest first or one person who lands on the moon first. Everybody else follows. So now all the papers on cell therapy or stem cell therapy in autism have to cite us because we are the first to publish. And when I say when I say the world's first paper, I never say I publish the world's first paper, although I'm saying it to you. I always say the world's first paper on cell therapy and autism came from India. That is a matter of pride for me that our country published the world's first paper on something new and completely innovative. After that, we have a total of 15 other papers on cell therapy and autism. And our, our second one after that was published in a very prestigious journal. You know, all, all are published in very prestigious journals. And we have a total of 106 scientific papers, which is the largest in the world. So this is an area where our country is leading the way, you know, not it, just me, it's our country. That yeah. a lot of foreigners actually come to India for cell, stem cell Yes, treatment. I have treated patients from 75 different countries, 75. Do they basically come here because it's more budget friendly? Yo? Uh, they're coming because it's not available there, our results are better. And also because, yeah, of course, it's, it is more budget friendly, but you have to understand, people travel 20 hours. I get patients every week, you know, I get patients coming from America and Australia, from England, they fly 15, 20 hours to come here. Okay, so firstly, this treatment is not available everywhere else. It's not available as free, you know, the way it is here, because a lot of the Western world hasn't accepted. Why? Okay, so there, there's, a, there's a long story behind it. What happened is that uh, in uh, 2000, around 2001, President George Bush, he had banned uh, embryonic stem cells. You know, so, okay, I, I to explain to you, we do from the bone marrow, but you can also get stem cells from the embryo, you know. 
you know, you have test tube babies, you have IVF, you should be familiar with IVF. So in that you have what is called spare embryos, okay, that are you. So you can actually make stem cells from that as well. Now, as you're aware, the, you know, the Roman Catholic Church doesn't permit abortion or family planning. In fact, in America, there's a law, the Supreme Court actually, you know, create, I think, pass something on abortion. So abortion in many states is not allowed. That is because the Christian thinking is life starts at conception. When the sperm and egg come together, life starts. So anything you do after that, you're killing a living person. So that's the whole family planning abortion debate in the Western world. George Bush had banned federal funding. He said the government will not pay for research for embryonic stem cell. But people's hearing is, you know, they what people remember, George Bush banned stem cells. He didn't ban stem cells. He banned federal funding. He said government will not pay for research for embryonic stem cells. Again, what most people don't remember is when Obama became president, one of his earliest executive decisions was to lift that ban. Mm. Okay. Now, we are not using that. Okay, that is like, you know, the whole mistake, the whole mess is right now. It's like beverages. Beverages has got alcohol, it's got canned juice, you know, Pepsi, Coke, etc. And it's got homemade orange juice. They're all beverages. And what you're doing is you're taking something for alcohol and implying it for homemade orange juice. There's sure. no connection. That's the mistake there. So what happened because of that in the Western world, in America, England, uh, Canada, this all over Europe, this therapy did not develop. It developed in India, China, Korea, and Japan. We yeah. four countries are the leaders. India, China, Korea, and Japan. We are way ahead of the West. Now, the West, you know, they just can't accept it. I mean, the, the, because we are pioneering. We have done, I've done close to 13,000 patients already in the last 15 years. You know, they are just starting, you know, at their, at some of their facilities. They are just starting and to do the work. In medical careers, experience uh, plays a huge role. Yeah. So that is happening. And the problem is not just that they aren't doing it. Our own doctors, we have what I call, and I say it openly, normally, we have what is called a colonial hangover. So when somebody with a white skin, an attack from Harvard, Stanford, Oxford comes and says, well, everybody's blah, 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 blah. They are praising him doing the arti, you know. But when the same thing comes from Asia or India, they don't have the same respect for it. Mm. So I call it colonial hangover. You know, it yeah. really is like that. We are pioneers. The world is following what we are doing. We are being quoted when patients go to doctors from there. They are actually being told to come here. Also, I'm assuming that in the long term, if stem cell therapy really takes off in the mainstream, which I anticipate that it will. It, it is. It's almost, it is. Yeah. It will affect big pharma badly. Oh, you know, you're brilliant here yeah, because this is so, you know, you're you're touching the key points. One of the reasons that I was going to mention about it, that stem cell therapy hasn't taken off. It doesn't have backing from Big Pharma. In fact, a very senior executive from a multinational company told me, says, Dr. Sharma, you are an existential threat to us. I said, like, what? So he said that if you make everybody okay, who will take our medicines? Mm. I'll so give you, the big medical companies, I mean, the big medicine companies they, don't want stem cells to take he, off. He used that word existential threat. <laughs> I mean, that's huge. I'll give you an example. I have a friend of mine in Jordan. Uh, and we, we have a meeting. All us uh, stem cell therapy doctors for neuro once a year, we meet in different parts of the world. And three years ago, we met in America and he was actually standing on the stage in front of hundreds of us and actually big, tall, tough guy. And he was in tears. You know, and you know, you know, the story told us this guy was using stem cells to reverse diabetes. And I've been to Jordan. I've met his patients. He completely reversed diabetes. Completely. Okay. People on insulin, all off. He said, and he said publicly in front of all of us that he was threatened 
by the company's manufacturing insulin because it's a trillion dollar, not directly, but via, you know, via. And he was told, either you stop your work on diabetes, we'll let you continue your other work or we'll shut you down completely. And he said, I had to shut down. Okay. Now he's saying this publicly, all right? Because that insulin is a trillion dollar industry. They cannot have that be replaced. So here is somebody from Jordan telling me that he had to stop his work on stem cells and diabetes because now for I'm not being, you know, threatened like that. But yes, I have been attacked. Really? I've been seriously attacked. You know, they've made so much effort. In fact, 400, I'm saying it publicly, 400, 400 pe- people in this field, in the field of autism have got together. And I'm not saying it. They, they gave an article in Times of India saying we are 400 signatories. They're opposed to this work. Why? Because there's an entire economy that sustains on these kids never getting okay. Let's say you're running a rehabilitation center and these kids are coming, you know, a child cannot talk. He comes to you for a lifetime of speech therapy. I treat him, he starts talking, he stops coming to you. Mm. So your business is directly affected. So there's this very strong lobby that is making all out attempts to shut me down. Okay. But we got our results and they made attempts. They were unsuccessful. And who stood by us? Our patients. When people made these attempts, our patients stood up, you know, they signed petition, they went on petition.org, they wrote to the Prime Minister and Health Minister and Commissioner and it was flooded with support for us. So eventually what matters is people. If the parents of children who have improved are standing up and talking for us, that's real, okay? Because no parent is going to support something that has not worked for his child. Whenever you do anything innovative, whenever you do anything different, you challenge the status quo there is an established business model of people who are who are sustaining on something not happening okay when you threaten that they are going to rise up and and speak about you and the real pity is that all these people none of these people they should come in if you're if you say you're working in this field and there are people coming from all over the world here they've not even once come and asked me okay to share our results talk to us you know speak to us in fact you know I mean, at least you should be wanting to learn and know what is going on. No, there's just an opposition. So anything new that anybody does, there will be resistance. There will be opposition. People will try to shut you down. But you just have to believe. You have to believe in yourself, to believe in your work. And most important, you have to, you know, it's the people who are, who are improving that become your support and your structure. So we have completely changed the thinking in the, in the field of autism and neurodevelopmental disorders. From nothing can be done to the fact that we can almost not just completely reverse it. But when you reverse it, these kids not just go back to independence, you start seeing the special abilities in them. So the special abilities thing is something Mm. I want to deep dive in. But first I want to put forward a hypothesis and correct me if I'm wrong, medically. Mm. Um, You spoke about how traditionally speaking, when a child is autistic, initially in his or her life, the growth of the brain and the functioning of the brain is great greater than the average kid and then there's like a dip yes that's the traditional way that things were do you think that that dip could be happening because of the medication given to the kid that could be medications there are lots of theories about it it could be lifestyle diet stresses you know there are are a million causes as to why Uh, there are some uh, some people talk of genetics a small percentage 15 to 20 percent there's a genetic background but a majority of it is lifestyle sometimes it's during the birth process like, you know, if the birth, that's why the role of gynecologist is just so important because if there's a little hypoxia, you know, less of oxygen to the uh, the brain of the child when the child is being delivered, that can cause um, the kind of uh, 
brain damage that we are seeing now in autism so there can there could be many reasons what about the special abilities especially with the kids you've treated where you've yeah. got someone out of so called out of autism yeah or yeah. you've just enhanced their actual abilities what are the special abilities you saw okay so there, there are so many of them i want to talk so there's this young you know little girl from bangalore and you know she she was quite severe okay she didn't have speech she was not going to a normal school but her mom realized early on that she's a wizard with numbers okay special ability with numbers and uh, then of course she took her cell stem cell therapy and after taking that she started improving and then the mother gave her special coaching in maths right now this kid is so brilliant you know she does engineering level math she does math that is she's just 7 years old okay she will do the tan cos all that complicated stuff and she does it brilliantly but most important i never believed this. you will not believe this till you actually see it okay i refused. when the mom told me this is happening i didn't believe it it's only when the child was in front of me and I, some 25 times i tested uh, you know this child is the ability you think of any number think she'll tell you what you thought <laughs> but this is only for numbers it's not for colors i mean if you say if you name a color animal she what but for numbers she has the ability to read your mind now she has a great ability in math okay it's a very it's a different it's an it's a beyond einsteinian ability for math you know uh now you can't explain this how do you explain uh, a child who can read you just think of a number you know then i thought maybe i'm think you know sometimes you wonder whether you you thought the same then the mother of you write it down so that you can cross check that it was the same is the same every time right so this is just one example okay there um, we have other examples i have this child from the maldives who uh, again uh, not able not going to school no speech and this you know the he took cell therapy started improving and the father noticed that this child is a wizard you know he just loves space planets okay he has no normal conversation he can't do regular stuff but you talk to him about mars saturn and something happens to him okay this guy is in his element and so the father did something interesting he got a entire library of uh, books on space and started reading with them and today this child has not only improved completely okay uh, he's now in a normal he's in the second standard he's not he was not going to school now he's in the second standard and topping the entire class not just his class the entire the whole second standard all the divisions he's standing first and is a wizard with numbers you tell him you know what 10 raised to 8 and before you can do it on a calculator this guy will have told you they've got amazing they are called savant like mathematical ability stuff that you can't even imagine then we have dozens and dozens of kids who've got this mind blowing ability you tell them any date in the future they'll tell you what date is okay you know you'll say you know uh, 4 july 20 50 and in a second they will tell you it's wednesday or thursday and it's so mind blowing how they do it yeah it is so completely mind blowing how you do it we had a kid who was from uh, england and uh, after doing the kid had no speech zero speech after doing the cell therapy the you know the mother they were from a muslim background and she would give her the quran uh, on a youtube channel this kid came back to us after 6 months he could recite and you won't believe this the entire holy quran by heart by heart without looking into it you know i mean you know and as where, where do these kids get it? so it was there inside i mean i can go on endlessly uh, we have a kid over here uh, who has amazing ability with chemicals and this father sort of figure out that he could 
and he first gave him a little kit and then he made a workshop and today this guy has a factory you know making 40000 liter there's something he does with some ethyl metal something and creates a chemical which has got commercial value he's 11 years old okay he's a millionaire he's running a chemical factory so i'm just giving you examples no, there sure. are so many such examples of brilliance that you and i cannot even imagine so let's take a small deep dive into yeah. what we've already discussed yeah. in this episode yeah. you said that autism is basically the lower brain being less functional than the higher brain yeah. lower brain is responsible for all your animalistic behaviors yes. all your instinctual behaviors yes. Yes. food sex yes. anger yes. sudden Absolutely. emotions yes. and upper brain is responsible for creativity imagination yeah. thinking executive function strategy yeah. Yeah. mathematics maybe yeah. yes. so all these kids have a very active upper brain yes uh and more active than you and me okay okay uh now through the therapy what you're doing is you're kind of making the lower brain functioning active enough to kind of match up to the upper brain yes. yeah. that's what the outcome of exactly. stem cell therapy yeah. on autism is I, i'll i'll give you a, i'll just convert this into a simple to understand example sure. let's say you're a great athlete fantastic athlete you could win the olympic gold medal all right but you have a fracture of the leg hmm. now you can forget running you can't even walk you cannot even stand so because a question people will ask is well we are saying they have these great abilities how come we don't see it my child is not talking my child is you know having behavioral issues my child can my child can read and write and you're saying that he's going to become a elon musk type or a wizard that's exactly like a great athlete who can't run because of a fracture have you understood but if i fix the fracture now i can see the athletic qualities in you okay so now once we fix the brain earlier you know all over the world you'll be surprised nobody had identified the brain damage we were among the first to publish a paper to show the world hey listen these parts of the world aren't working and we published as a paper now not only we published which parts are not working and that's published in the world journal of nuclear medicine we now have a solution to it so it's only when you fix it that you can see the special qualities okay. you can't see the special qualities like i can't see you as a great athlete as long as you have a fracture okay have you understood that yeah yeah no no got yeah. it yeah what will happen okay firstly i want to just confirm this thought with you yeah. autism is kind of a spectrum right yeah it's called the autism it's called autism spectrum disorder yeah so if you're very high up on the spectrum you have a severe case of autism yes. as is the case with most of the kids yeah. you treated yeah. i'm assuming yeah. Yeah. but lower versions of that would be adhd which you also see a lot yes yeah. then would, there's learning disability then there is okay. you know dyslexia. dyslexia yeah exactly now you're saying probably elon musk was also uh, on this spectrum yeah. on a lower he, part he, of it he actually says it he talks about okay. openly yeah what if we give him the same therapy you're giving the kids what will happen to his brain um so right now it's of course too late but had we given it when he was young okay we might have seen something completely more different here okay because this works see the thing about our therapy okay that's the other thing we found that it works best when you give it early so we found our best results are below 5 when you when you give it below 5 the next best results are before puberty once puberty kicks in then we find there is there's still results but they are lesser okay so it's called early intervention because the, this is about neuroplasticity that we are talking about it you know the the child's brain is more plastic so you know when you give cell therapy you get better results as you get older especially after puberty because the hormone testosterone comes into play and the, the brain is a little less uh, you know manu- you, it's difficult to modulate the brain as in when uh, when you're a kid your brain's like clay and it can yes, be shaped exactly, up into exactly. how yeah. it's called neuroplasticity that's why that word comes yeah. from clay and as you grow older you your brain becomes more stiff yes okay Correct. 
okay yeah. now when you are actually fixing uh, their problems when they are kids mm-hmm. is their upper brain also benefiting more yes because of this is the lower brain being stronger yeah no you are uh, okay it's not benefiting more you can see the effects of it more okay, i mean the you know it's not going to make a Understood. change there but the stuff that you couldn't see let's say there's a child who, a majority of autistic kids with autism can't talk they can't mm. speak mm. you can't see their brilliance okay ah. if they had a brilliance okay because they're not able to express, able to what's express what's it what's happening now and that's because we've seen that the speech area on our scans we've clearly shown that the speech area is not functioning well once you can activate that and they start talking now you can see their brilliance okay, okay. uh i'm also assuming that going forward the way science is going probably in 20 years time will you be able to do a version of this on normal kids or on adults in general okay what if you do it on normal kids now okay okay so you know that that's very interesting so we've actually had parents come to us uh saying that you know my child is 20th in class and i want my child to come first so will you give our child stem cells <laughs> so we actually had parents come to us now we don't because that is not correct and i think that's not that's misuse of technology just because you want your kid to stand first in class you should not be giving stem cells that is why we have criteria so what we have our work is governed by what is called a institutional ethics committee you know this is this is a, in in hospitals we have there's a process called it's uh, there's a committee of outside doctors senior it's got doctors it's got lawyers it's got social workers it's got different people who actually you know uh, give you permission to do what you do it's called oversight sure and this committee is, is registered with the ministry of health in delhi so it's it's a formal thing now so one of the cri- criteria is that we cannot give stem we do not we have chosen not to give stem cells to people whose brains are normal that's why we do the scan called pet ct scan why because this is misuse of technology okay this technology is meant to help somebody whose brain is damaged it's not meant for somebody whose brain is normal and you want to make it better i mean but, but can it yeah it would but it's, <laughs> it's not it's not i don't think that would be that would be misuse of technology <laughs> you'd give rise to super villains exactly yeah we don't want to do that now, now now you're trying to play god and that's not good okay we're here to help people who are you know suffering people with uh, you know limited facility we want to help people in difficult situations but we don't want to play to people's vanity you know you want a child to come first that's not fair you know it's not fair to push your child into cuz the child may have some other skills okay you you may not stand first in class you may be 20 but you may be a great artist you may be a great cricketer you may have you you may have some other skills Sachin Tendulkar. Imagine if his father tried to make him a doctor; that would be a disaster, you know. Uh, but his father understood very early: this kid is great with the bat. I, I, I'm not even sure Sachin passed school, or he definitely didn't go to college. But his father identified his skill set, and you know, let him, uh, let him get into but that. Theoretically, what would happen if you put stem cells into a normal smart kid? Theoretically, <laughs> what would actually biologically go on in the brain? I don't know. Uh, I really don't have the answer. I guess you'd get better. Of course. Now, looking at the way cell therapy works, the cells get attracted to those parts of the brain which are damaged. So, you know, if your brain is completely normal, it may be that the, you know the normal parts of the brain may not may not accept it, or it maybe they will stimulate it. Maybe they can, you know, uh, see. You have to understand a higher level of function is not necessarily good. You could you could become you know because you know. you could develop a schizophrenia you could be develop you, you 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 your mind could go completely anything too much of anything is not good fair okay 
So uh, that's why you don't want to play around with that. You know. Sure. So our Did principle is, yeah, but it's it's. A, we've had people come to us. <laughs> We have people actually come to us and say exactly this. I want my child to come first. Give him stem cells. Yeah. Till this point, I was visualizing that whole Captain America scene. You know, where he yeah. goes in as a skinny guy and comes out jacked. Yeah. So <laughs> theoretically, yes, that's possible, but we wouldn't do it. I would not do it. I would not encourage it. And. Uh, at this stage, especially okay. when when technology is new, I'm sure once it gets established, uh, like every good thing gets misused, and there will be people who will find a way around this. So, damn. When when that happens, that happens. Okay. <laughs> How expensive is stem cell therapy? So In it depends. Rupees. In rupees, so uh, it varies. We have an entire range. For example, starting from the from the lower, we do it completely free for all orphan children. So any child who has no parents is done free of cost. All children from tribal areas, you know, interior, we do it without cost. In Maharashtra, we have a particular sensitivity to drought-hit areas, you know, where farmers come in. So we've identified areas. Everybody from there, we do it without cost. Then there's a next level of people who are, you know, who can afford something. So there, it can be done in a couple of thousands, you know, which are discounted rates. We have tie-ups with various trusts. There are all these trusts that help and support them. We have several foundations who help them. Then we have people who want, you know, you know, want a higher class of accommodation. They want deluxe rooms and they want suites. And uh, then we have, um, you know, uh, patients who come from overseas who who want a whole lot of fancy other things. Then it can go into, uh, you know, then it can go into lakhs because they, there is a whole lot of other things that are being added, uh, services that get added to it and there's a stay and there's a two-week stay. So we have different options, a one-week stay and a two-week stay. There is such a range of costs that you can't put a distinct to it. But we, I have one policy. No child should ever be deprived of this treatment because of money. So we have, when I started my organization, Neurogen, right from the beginning, we had a social worker. You know, private hospitals don't have social workers, but we had a social worker from day one because we said we have to cater to Every strata that that comes from having studied at uh, in a public in KM hospital and GS Medical College and working at the Science Hospital, uh, it's been our thing that you know a, nobody should be denied treatment for want of money. Okay. So we play Robin Hood. You know those who can afford it, those who come from outside, well we charge them in dollars and charge them good, and those who can't, we uh, we treat them without any cost. A guy like me who's thirty yeah. who is starting to encounter some small aging related things, you yeah. know, like yeah. I'm not as strong or athletic as I used to be when I was twenty two. Hmm. Is there room for me coming in and taking a treatment from you? Yeah, so we have apart from uh, you know treating neurological problems, we have now over the past four years, uh, we are now working in the field of anti-aging. So I have a separate hospital that's an anti-aging hospital. Do people mostly come with skin and hair related things? No, no. So this is different. So that is, you know, that is like a spa kind of, you know, we, we don't do that. We do cellular anti-aging. So let me explain to you. Uh, like today, we have tools. A sim there's a simple blood test. You can just withdraw your blood. And, uh, okay, let me give you a little background. So our cells have something called genes. You have aware of genes? Chromosomes. They are like an X thing, right? So the tip of the chromosome, like our nail, is something called telomere. Now, when we are born, our telomeres are at the maximum size. As we age, our telomeres become smaller. When your telo now, what the telomere does is it protects the gene. So uh, you know, when the chromosome divides, it protects it. All right. So that gives you the ability to for your body to keep growing. Now, when it reaches its end point, that's the time the, the cell can't divide anymore. That's cellular death. So you can actually, with a blood test today, simple blood test, predict what your age will be. 
You can actually predict it. They they measure the length of the telomeres. Of the telomeres. So you get a telomere length, and the telomere length tells you what your cellular age is, not what your birth age is. Gotcha. Okay. Now the advantage of that is one, you know your cellular age. Second, if you do treatments, interventions, you can have a before and an after. One second. A cellular age will be could be very different from your birth age. It is very. So I'll give you my own example. Okay. So I was uh, I I was I'm sixty. Last I was sixty, and I I did my telomere. I was the first. And it showed my cellular age to be eighty-five, and I got a shock. I said, "What? Eighty-five? I mean, this is you've got to be kidding me!" And uh, then I said, "Okay, I've got to do something." So I went into my own anti-aging program, which used hyperbaric oxygen, ozone therapy. I did this for forty days back to back. This was and basically came out jacked like that. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> not really. Actually, not very. A lot of things improved. Yeah, a lot of things improved. Okay. But most important, my telomeres in forty days from eighty-five came down to seventy. Okay, and in fact, the lab refused to issue the report after forty days. They said we can't give you this report because forty days ago you were eighty-five. How do you become seventy? You know, so the people will question the validity of our reporting. I said no. I did all this. Then I continued my treatment for another forty days, and I brought it down to sixty. So today, my cellular age is the same as my biological age, using anti-aging treatments. Okay. Uh- Is it physically painful the treatment? There's nothing. It's on totally non-invasive. It's there's nothing. There's no nothing. It's just pure oxygen therapies, ozone therapies, gut cleansing. Uh, Something. It's just nothing. There is no intervention. There's no surgery. There is no. You don't take bone. There's no stem cells in this. This is non-stem cell related. Okay. So you you just go into chambers and breathe the air. No, it's multiple. That's just one part. The, the, the breathe the chamber is one part. There are many other treatments that go along with this. You know. So it's but it's all. Nature based. It's all what is called. There's no intervention. You're okay. not doing, uh, giving anything. So there was. I was. I was happy. So now my cellular ages. Now the good news here is that this marking of the telomere shows you that your maximum we can live up to one twenty. So beyond one twenty, your body cannot. Our our body is programmed up to a maximum of one twenty, because your telomeres. So, so when they do these measurements, they do it on a gradation of one twenty. That's why it was eighty five. On a scale of one twenty max, sure, you understand. Yeah. So technically, if you could bring it down, I mean, the good news here is you could possibly live to one twenty. You could, okay. That's assuming you don't have a cancer, or brain stroke, or heart attack, or an accident, or something. So anti-aging is a fascinating, fascinating field, and there is an entire huge conference every year in Las Vegas. I, I attend it regularly on anti-aging. You've got some four, five thousand doctors from all over, and there is a lot of excitement. Uh, in in this field, that you can actually slow down actually the aging process, and uh, or at least where it's accelerated because of stress, lifestyle, other things, you can bring it under control. What will it manifest into on a physical level? Yeah, so a t- couple of things. One, suddenly you find your mind is clear. Okay, you're thinking clearly. You know what this brain fog which you have very often, so the brain fog disappears. You know, then you start finding yourself physically more active. You know, you find yourself. Uh, Being able to energetically work for long hours, okay, then you find, uh, of course, at a cellular level, things are different. And also at a like when you do, because along with the telomeres, we do everything else. We do blood sugar levels, cholesterol levels, liver function, renal function, hormones. We study. We have an elaborate set of tests that we do before and after. What we are finding, and we have, you know, this is going to get published in a paper. We've just published this into a paper that all these things improve. So it's not just telomeres improve. Telomere is a manifestation. That the rest of your body—it's a marker—is mm. telling you that the rest of your body is improving. So we monitor everything. So 
for example, I, I got my mom to do it. And of course, my, I mean, I, her thing after just a one week program, it reduced by one year. But I was happy. I, you know, technically, I've given my 88 year old mom one more year of life on whatever, it, you know, that's still a lot. And then, you know, so I, I my mom was among the first. Um, I, I had a, my, I've got a younger sister who had such severe knee problem. Remember when she came for the anti aging, she came on a wheelchair, okay, from Delhi. She came from Delhi, had to be escorted on a wheelchair. And after this whole program, not only she improved, she went to Vaishnu Devi and climbed, walked 14 kilometers up and down, 28 kilometers for somebody who came on a wheelchair <laughs> to walk 28 kilometers to Vaishnu Devi is like something. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And that, that was, and she says it to everyone. That happened because of the anti-aging treatment protocol she took at our place. So your, your question was, how does it manifest? My real younger sister who came in a wheelchair, walked 28 and you know, I, you've been to Vaishnav Devi, it's an uphill climb. It's a mountain climb up and mountain climb down. She could do that. So that is the difference. What will happen to me if I go through it? If you happen, like I said, see there's, there's you, you, you're you going to find your mind a little more active. You've, you'll alertness. You know what is mind fog? You're too young to have mind fog. But as you grow older, sometimes there is a, you know what is mind fog? Have you heard that yeah, word? Yeah, It's like a, a brain fog. It's like, a, you know, dulling. So suddenly you find your mind sharper. And, uh, now we, of course, uh, our program is for people 50 plus, okay? Because if I tell a 30-year-old do anti-aging, they say, what is wrong with you, you know? I, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people minds would actually be open to it, okay. honestly. I think people minds are very into biohacking. Yeah. But anyway, go on. Yeah, no, I completely agree that, you know, they they actually say, I mean, there is, there is science to show the time to start anti-aging measures is at 30. Because that's when, you know, up to 30, your body is sort of peaking and then there is a slow decline, of course, mm. depending on your lifestyle, diet and a whole lot of other things. So that's the time to uh, start doing this. And uh, it, it doesn't have to be, see, this is not something, it's not like you're in a hospital and things are being done to you. This this is a part of, uh, because when you come out of this, you understand the value of natural systems of healing, okay. which I want to just elaborate in a very simple way it's, so it's easy to understand what are the things essential to life are the things essential to health and longevity the first is oxygen if you don't have oxygen for more than 10 minutes you know if you are strangulated you will not survive more than 10 minutes 80% of all diseases are because of lack of oxygen right so if you oxygenate your body you're going to be uh, you're going to be younger healthier so one of the simplest ways to do it is pranayam. So in yoga, even if you don't do the rest of the yoga, if you just do pranayam, why? Because when you do pranayam, you deep breather. See, you can't change the air around you. Can you change the air? I'm very happy to see plants here. I hope they're natural plants. But yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, because the more plants you have, the, what the plants do, they produce oxygen and they take your carbon dioxide away. But pranayam, what happens is, you see, normally we are breathing now. We, we breathe shallow. In pranayam, you breathe fully. So if you can just do pranayam every day in the morning, that, that'll help. Now, of course, because, you know, so, okay, so look at nature in the jungle. What do you have? You have so much greenery and very few animals breathing it. Come bring it to the city. Suddenly you have so many more people breathing and so much less green. And whatever air is there is polluted, it's toxic, okay? So we are breathing, there's less oxygen and that too what is there is is, is polluted. So we have to, so our, the, our basis of our anti-aging is hyperbaric oxygen. So what is hyperbaric oxygen? It's basically right now we are breathing oxygen at one atmosphere pressure. This is one atmosphere. 
Now, when you when you go into a chamber and you give oxygen, so at one atmosphere, see when you take oxygen, it goes into our lungs. From our lungs, it goes into our blood, and the blood carries oxygen to the whole tissue. Is that easy to understand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the blood. we have two types of cells red blood cells white blood cells and platelets you may have heard of it and then there is the liquid in the blood called plasma so right now what we are breathing only the red blood cell carries oxygen uh, in what is called hemoglobin you may have heard of hemoglobin so hemoglobin is the only thing right now which is taking the oxygen we breathe all over the body okay the white blood cells have no and uh, oxygen the liquid the majority of the blood is liquid that is zero oxygen but when you go in a chamber and oxygen is given under pressure the oxygen enters the liquid of the blood so your entire liquid of the blood is full of oxygen and now when that goes it goes everywhere to every nook and corner and it improves your overall functioning right so that is now if you can't the ideal thing is for us to be you know to live in nature to live in place where there's more green then you don't need any of this you know if you're living in a place where there's all greenery you don't need hyperbaric you don't need any of this but because we don't have that we are now using modern technology to deliver what nature should deliver so the first thing is oxygenation so whether you if you do pranayam for younger people hyperbaric may not a lot of sportsmen are taking a lot of uh, yeah. you see a lot of film stars and everybody is taking hyperbaric as part of anti aging so first is oxygen second thing for health is water okay you cannot if you don't have water for a couple of days you won't be able to survive so even people who are fasting you know they jains who fast and all they still have water almost 80% of our body is made of water and one of the problems is we don't drink enough water Okay, so we need to drink between two to three liters of water every day. Just doing that will seriously help us. So oxygen, which is important for survival. Second is water. Hydrate yourself. Drink as much water, you know, because somehow in today's life you just skip it. You drink when you are thirsty. When you are thirsty and you drink, you are already dehydrated. So you should be drinking preventatively. Like the Chinese have a very nice system. Every one hour they have uh, Chinese tea. and the chinese my chinese colleague were telling me it's not about the tea it's that having every hour hot water that's why they can eat anything and they don't have so many diseases because they hydrate themselves do you think this hot water cold water thing matters uh i think hot water is better overall okay uh, overall hot water is better so first is oxygen second is water the third thing you can't survive without is uh food so again what is good food is natural food whatever nature gave us in fact you know today most even you talk to cancer surgeons and the first thing they talk in their lectures is diet you know that diet has such an important role to play in malignancies and in all diseases and that is because we have shifted from nature like you know so you have to imagine life in in a jungle and here what do animals eat natural there's nothing cooked so everything that we cook and eat causes problems because of whatever is added to it so a good idea is to um so i'm giving see i'm a surgeon so i like to give i don't give theoretical advice i give practical advice so practical advice is for oxygen do pranayam if you can have as many plants as you can in your house and if you can't do that take hyperbaric oxygen this is practical sure. water very simple 2 to 3 liters of water measure it see that you drink every day third food now if i tell you eat only natural food then you you know nobody's going to follow it who can eat only fruit salad the natural food is fruits vegetables nuts what a recommendation is to have at least three times a day to have natural food and the rest of the time have your regular cooked stuff so just you know uh, like i in my breakfast will have only fruits and tea you know just and then then it's not a good idea to mix cooked and uncooked actually ideally you should have them separate because the digestive pathways are separate so if you have three 
natural meals a day. The rest you can have whatever you want, uh, so long as reasonably healthy. So the f- next thing is uh, to deliver all this to the body, the, the circulation. Okay, your body, the blood has to circulate for oxygen and food. And because we've stopped exercising, because we've become sedentary, so circulation is slow. So even if you have good oxygen and a good diet, you know, but if it's it's not reaching the body, so for circulation, you need to exercise anything, half an hour, thirty minutes. Of a walk or a jog or a swim or a gym. Unfortunately, now for exercise, everybody's thinking of just a gym. You go to the gym and do workout. No, anything that keeps your circulation going. A simple walk is good enough. You could skip. You could dance. I mean, dancing is great. Anything that builds up, you know, increases your heart rate a little and gets your circulation going. Uh, so next thing that's important is sleep because sleep is the time of housekeeping. All right, both for the brain and the body. So a lot of our healing actually happens when we sleep. All the wear and tear of the body when we are asleep, because everything else is shut down, there is housekeeping happening, even in the brain. All that has happened in the day, all the stresses and the strains and the problems and the worries, the mind does housekeeping. You know, it sorts out things, it slots them, puts things in the right place and everything else. Now, if you don't have adequate sleep, what happens is not only is everything all, you know, a kitchery in the brain, but your body also doesn't heal. And the body has a great healing capacity. So, uh, if so, anywhere between seven to eight. Now, ideal sleep is sleep when without an alarm, you know, without an alarm, when you wake up naturally, mm. because the sleep has got to, you know, there's got a, a REM and a non-REM. There's got a sleep pattern. So you you'll notice if you wake up to an alarm, suddenly you wake up feeling weird and suddenly odd and everything. So sleep is such an important part, you know, of um, of health. Uh, it's something we as doctors uh, don't practice. This is the only part that we sometimes aren't able to practice because of our lifestyle. But now if you can put all this together, so simple, you know, see that your body is oxygenated, see that your body is hydrated, see that you have enough natural food along with whatever cooked food you have, okay? If you exercise just about 30 minutes a day, keep your circulation going. You know, if you sleep seven to eight hours, you know, whatever your body needs, you're going to avoid 80% of your life's problems. Okay. Okay. Just mm-hmm. buy these simple, and they're all free of cost. They don't, none of these is expensive. None of this costs anything. Because this is natural. This is the way the body is meant to heal. Mm. Now, of course, if you don't do all this, there is medical technology to do it. Okay. But, you know, you could do all this naturally. I want to talk to you about the medical technology. Yeah. There's a conspiracy theory on the internet that yeah. says that billionaires of the world get yeah. blood transfusions where they yeah. use blood from pre-pubescent children. Yes. Is I that know an, about that. Yeah. Is that an actual therapy? That's an actual therapy. Because those kids have highly oxygenized blood? Yes, absolutely. So Why that, do kids have highly oxygenized blood? Yeah, because the younger bodies, of course, uh, what happens is that, uh, you know, it's like the body's a machine. You see, when your car is new, okay, you buy a new car, Understood. you know, everything is so much better. As the car gets older, it gets more carbonized, things are... So there's actually animal experiments. They're, they're well-defined animal experiments. You take two rats, okay, uh, you have an older rat and a younger rat, and then you just switch the blood of both of them. The older rat gets younger, and the younger rat gets older, just by transfusing the blood to each other. Right? So there's actual scientific experiments and papers on that. So that is actually correct. I'm not sure about the ethics of that. You know whether this is something you should do or should not do. It's not something we practice, but so, it is true that you know this this happens. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's very real. So in the case of these billionaires. Mm-hmm. Is the blood from the billionaires being sent to the kids? No, no, that's, that's, that's <laughs> being thrown away. So in the research model, they did it just to show that the reverse also works. Ah, okay. Thank God. <laughs> that would be messed up. No, no. You can't give that. They, they just throw their, they're throwing their blood away and... Who are these kids? 
we don't know i mean we don't know who they are i mean human trafficking possibly i have no clue we 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 we've only heard about this but i know this not from humans i know it from laboratory experiments that okay. you know in our lectures and conferences we've actually seen data that actually shows that when you do this complete everything changes the heart liver you know the whole aging thing sort of reverses by completely alternating blood so i'm talking about laboratory work okay i've heard it happens in people but i'm not aware of it i've never heard of anybody who's taken this is it legal i don't think so wow <laughs> Okay, um, but maybe there's no law that says you can't do it. But uh, I don't think it's um, you know it's not something we've looked into ever. So, are there therapies that only the billionaires of the world can afford? Uh, no, I think all the therapies available today can be reached by the common man. Really? Yeah. Even on an international level. On international level. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about stem cell therapy a yeah, little bit. Yeah. Is it true that it's painful when you inject? It's not painful at all because you know it's it's a needle prick, just like how you collect blood. You know. you put a needle into your vein and collect blood so the same thing we put a needle into the pelvic bone that's the bone above the hip bone you know I would we give local anesthesia that's painful no it's not really painful we give local anesthesia that you know the child or the patient doesn't feel it also because it's you know it's like your dental work you know uh-huh. when your dental work is being done you don't feel it because they give you local anesthesia i mean you know they are drilling all that but you don't feel it maybe afterwards for a couple of days they may be lit but we give painkillers so it's not painful at all you know it's just to it's a needle prick there is no cut there is no stitch there is nothing you put a needle take out bone marrow take it to the laboratory separate the cells the mono we call we use mononuclear cells and then we inject it into the spinal fluid with a very thin needle so it's two injections that's all the beauty of this treatment is very safe it's a very safe treatment in more than 13000 patients there have been no major adverse events reactions nothing it's a very safe treatment do you also inject it into the joints of athletes who have been injured or something like that no we don't because i'm a neurosurgeon i only treat neurological patients but this I'm kind not. of a treatment is it's there it's being done yeah it's being done and uh, there are, there are, there are several centers in india that are that are doing this so with very good results in the case of what like if a joint has a problem or yeah a joint has a problem and uh, you know if you in osteoarthritis there are very good results recently we had a child uh, uh, known to one particular government official and you know she post covid had developed what is called vascular you know the hip bone uh, has you can have it's called avascular necrosis avn and both the both the joints were gone post covid and all the doctors everywhere told her you have to replace the joint and that's huge because if you take out the old joint put two new joints she's a young girl she's just about not even 20 and the mother was very upset i don't want my daughter to have to hip joints you know from her point of view uh, i mean she's looking in long term who will marry my daughter and stuff and then although i didn't do it i identified um, an orthopedic surgeon who who specializes in this and they actually uh, used cell therapy from the fat i do it from the bone they do it from the fat uh it was an australian developed technology and they used it and she improved completely you you know not only is she walking now but we did scans and that vascular necrosis is gone so somebody who was advised bilateral joint replacements is now completely okay with the cell therapy so that's the magic of cell therapy it's simple it was just injected into her that's it what else is it being used for like we spoke about the autism angle like mm. brain defects mm. then we spoke about helping your joints if they're inflamed yeah. you know I have like a repeated case of like tennis elbow. Mm-hmm. I have like shoulder inflammation. I'm probably mm-hmm. going to go in for it at yeah, some point. Okay. It's legal, right? Yeah. <laughs> <of course. laughs> okay, okay, cool. But I intend on going in for it at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, someone on the show, Chris Gethin, spoke about how he used it for his elbows. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I really want to see what it's about. Mm-hmm. But what other problems can be sorted out? 
So there are several things. For example, there are two conditions which are fatal, where which where there is a very high death rate. There is one particular condition called duodenal muscular dystrophy. In this condition, uh, every child, every boy dies in their early twenties. It's a hundred percent death rate, hundred percent. And uh, we have uh, so here we inject it into their muscles as well as into their spinal fluid also, and we've treated over two thousand such kids, and we've been able to save the majority of their life. They're all now living beyond twenty. So you're asking me actually about what? So muscular dystrophy. You know, it's a, it's a, it's it's you know, it's a condition that is so heart wrenching. <clears throat> These kids they develop so it only boys get it, but it gets transmitted through the mother. Okay, now you can imagine in an Indian setting what torture happens when the when the family in laws find out that the mother, because the mother their son or the grandson is, is suffering now, and they start developing weakness of the hands and legs. First they start falling, then they you know they can't walk, then they sit, they go in a wheelchair, and then they you know lose respiration. They all die by their twenties. So it's a very slow. It's the most painful death on the planet because it. Lasts for fifteen years. Fifteen years, you see a child going down, and you know he's going to die. We are able. We have treated over two thousand patients. In fact, recently there was a BJP operator from from Vidisha, Madhya Pradesh, who killed himself, his wife, and both his kids of muscular dystrophy. It was a big article in the papers. Can you imagine a man killing his whole family because he said, "I can't save my children" because he did not know that it can be treated. Okay, so uh, so here is a disease which kills. Which can be helped with stem cell therapy. We've already helped. We've got multiple. We've got over fifteen scientific papers. We've written books on it. In one of our books, Narendra Modi has written an introduction. He speaks about this. He's spoken about this in various forums. Then there's this other disease called motor neuron disease. You know, which Stephen Hawking had. There again, there's a ninety percent death rate in the first five years. No solution because all the the neurons die inside. We've treated again over a thousand patients. And we've we've had good results. We've been able to save quite a substantial amount of people. So in some conditions that cause death, it helps. In some conditions of injury, like spinal cord injury, people are paralyzed. We are able to make them walk. Uh, brain stroke, where one half of the body is stops moving. We've had you know we've treated them and they respond. But of course, the best results come in children with autism and cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy is slightly different because there the brain is damaged, but the body is affected. So okay. they have stiffness and tightness of the hands and legs, mm. and uh, they are on wheelchairs. And we have all these kids who come to us on wheelchairs, and you do the stem cell therapy, and you know in six months, one day they come to you walking. My God, it's so emotional. Mm. You know to see a kid who's on a wheelchair come back to you walking. It's just so. It's just something else for me. Mm. Yeah. When I was a kid, yeah. someone had diagnosed me with ADHD. With ADHD, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I I think it's definitely there, based on how my head works uh-huh. even now. Like yeah. I have extremely intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. For example, right now an intrusive thought that's entering in my head is you mentioned nerve cells. Yeah. Uh, I want to know if you can see nerve cells with your with the human eye. No, you can't. You can't, see, right? You can't see from outside. Because in India, there's a stereotype where they call veins and arteries. Here, they call nerves. They call. It's not no, at all the same thing. No, you can't. Okay. But uh, the only way you can look in the brain is through the you know through through the eye the fundus you can through there's a scope called something called fundoscope with which you can see the back of the eye and at the back of the eye there is a, a nerve called the optic nerve which is which an is extension, extension of, your of the brain. brain yeah so that's the only insight you can do you look into the optic nerve and you all it tells you the brain is swollen not swollen okay. there's something called papillary edema but apart from that you can't look into the brain. Um, the topic of intuition and sixth sense has come up on this podcast a lot with yeah. everyone from cricketers to politicians yeah. to people like yourself yeah. uh 
there is a school of thought that believes that intuition and sixth sense being able to predict the near yeah. future or yeah. events on a particular day yeah. are just an outcome of being able to read pattern recognition better absolutely so there's pattern recognition that everyone goes through and then maybe people who have a sharper so called sixth sense are able to read that read, absolutely correct that's okay. a, that's the neural basis so because these kids with autism now why we know because we are looking at their scans and we are looking at not just what's not working we are looking at what's working more okay so it's like you know if you you did went to a gym and did a lot of work with your this your arms would be stronger okay so these kids have a part of the brain that you can't see it once we fix their brains with stem cell therapy we start seeing that okay so okay. um do you look into this whole third eye angle like when people say oh your third eye opens up some people believe that it's the pineal gland i've read a mm. spiritual book which said it's actually the activation of the medulla oblongata mm-hmm. have you read any of this stuff well, i've heard about it i've read about it but there is a neural there there is a neuroscience base to it okay? okay so it's again our brain has the ability to pick up things that maybe you and i cannot recognize for example you know say a dog's brain a dog can pick up a sound that you and i can't there mm. you know there is there is a particular sound wave that you, we can't hear but they can there is something that is normal for us that is difficult for these kids are very for example they have a lot of sensory issues sound you know sound sometimes trouble them what sound is normal for us it becomes excessive for them so the the third eye that we talk about okay it's a, a yes the pineal gland has a role but the pineal gland is more about our day and night and you know our general pattern there's a pituitary gland that controls all the hormones and below that there's an area called the hypothalamus the, above the pituitary gland that actually controls the this thing and all our emotional state all our emotional brain and uh, you know the middle brain that i'm talking about directly communicates with the pituitary gland the pituitary gland controls all our hormones so every hormone from the thyroid to the you know to the every other hormone the pancreas our adrenals our our sexual hormones are all controlled by the pituitary which is directly controlled by our emotional brain so there is a strong connect now what happens is when in a particular state all these things get activated to and then you are able to you know it's like a great athlete can do things let's say a um, a gymnast can in, do things that you and I can't do in a state of same, flow in a state of flow yeah so a lot of things get synced and when they get synced they're able to see things many of our gurus our spiritual gurus have the ability to do that i mean they can they can actually see you and they can talk to you about a whole lot about who you are and what you do simply because they're able to pick up what you said it's not just patterns it's everything it's 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 in your eyes it's in your body language it's in your facial muscles it's it's in it's in your hand movements it's how you sit it's in like every little thing says a story now you and i can't put it together but maybe somebody can put 1 2 3 4 5 and okay okay that that that's how it is do you have anything to say about dmt ayahuasca and all these no no, no. is there any truth to the fact that i mean this is what you read about on the internet mm-hmm. that your pineal gland releases dmt when you dream right before the moment of your death yeah. is there any truth to that uh there there is there are theories to that okay but this okay. is not something i've actively researched so okay, normally fair. i don't talk about things that i haven't researched i i read about i've read about it i know about it but i'm not the expert i've not gone into that okay. in great detail does your mind as a neurosurgeon hmm. kind of deep dive into all these spiritual things that absolutely. we absolutely so what is the aspect of indian or eastern spirituality that you think is 
exactly in sync with modern day neuroscience other than like pranayama and yoga and what we spoke about mm. like kundalini jagran and all these things mm. are you familiar with these yeah, yeah. Mm. so what is fascinating for you as a neuroscientist you are a neuroscientist yeah yeah mm-hmm. okay so actually uh, it's very interesting because whatever is said spiritually whatever is said in our ancient texts you know the vedas and the upanishads and everything else you take that and then you take the writing of scientists like einstein rutherford and all that and you see they're actually a match in fact um, you know there's a wonderful book called tao of physics by fritz of capra you know you must read that book and the cover of the book actually there is a picture of shiva as natraj and it's superimposed um, i don't know now that on on the atom you know the you know the our atom finally if you go you know and that the natraj is a form of uh, the, the atom nucleus. nucleus yeah so in that book the whole book is nothing but something from the upanishad and something from einstein and the whole book is just a flow of science and spirituality spiritual see spirituality is an explanation of science to people who did not know about science i mean at that time you could not talk about all this so the same thing was put in a easy to understand manner okay today in other words today science is validating our spirituality mm. okay whatever was said earlier okay science is sort of proving it validating it to be correct so they actually you're looking at the same thing uh just you're looking at it differently here you're looking at it from base of what's happening in the laboratory and there you're looking at it from a larger perspective that an ordinary man can understand so sure. basically at the end there's this concept of what is called everything nothing okay so it's like suppose i take you i take you and i break you down so you are your skin bones heart liver kidney i break that down its tissues your cells and then finally what are they there are proteins and there are you know fats and you know all that and there's water so big chunk of you is water so let's just take water what what is water h2o okay so h is hydrogen o is oxygen so what is oxygen is basically a proton okay and it's got electrons going around it So if I go deep, deep, deep down into you, your collection of protons and electrons. What are electrons? They're bundles of energy, which are rotating around the proton, right? Now, if I do the same thing, if I go down to this cup, okay, keep going down to the last. Again, I'm going to see the same thing. I'm going to see protons because at the mm-hmm. fundamental level, the same thing is true of a tree in Africa, of the snow on the North Pole, of a, of of a rock on the Moon. of uh you know piece of dust in a galaxy far away so when you go down to the fundamental law of who we are it's actually all the same hmm. okay protons and electrons protons and electrons okay so when you go down to nothing because you know because after that there is nothing you know you also see everything okay because and and if you see most you know whether you read the read about buddha or mahavi they actually talk of the same thing that that everything and nothing is the same so when you go down there you become part of everything and a lot of power of prayer or of intention of willing is that because when you vibrate at that level things happen because it's all the same mm. i mean if you start seeing things so when you will for something you know you actually what happens at that level affects things everywhere else so there is a difference between everything nothing and something <clears throat> okay let me try to make it simple let's say an ocean is made of you know water drops of water So if you have a drop of water coming onto the beach now it is something why is it something because there's a drop and what is around that is not a drop so it is something but it is powerless it's just lying there it's a drop 
it is something, but it's a drop. And we keep believing we are something. Now, when the drop, let's say, goes back into the ocean, can you see it? It becomes nothing. But it also becomes part of everything. It's part of the ocean. Okay. Mm. It's got the entire power and strength of the emotion of the waves of a tsunami and everything else. So we keep believing we are something. And when we keep thinking we are something, because it's all uh, ego, pride, yevo, me, my, my, you know. If you can shift and see yourself as nothing, when you make yourself nothing, you also become part of everything. You don't become everything. Mm. You become part of everything. So more spirituality and science merges this. The whole concept of everything, nothing. Okay. I would love to see a conversation between you and Dr. Sid Warrior at some point. Mm -hmm. We've had a lot of conversations like this. Yeah. Uh, he's a young neurologist mm -hmm. and I'd love to just see you two go at it. Mm -hmm. um, what I do wish to say is uh, something that he taught me on this show, mm -hmm. which is that, and please correct me if I'm wrong because you're the authority. Mm -hmm. There is a part of your brain that identifies with the self. Yes. In terms of when I stretch out my arm, mm -hmm. I know exactly where my fingertip is. Mm -hmm. Now, I know where my fingertip is because my brain is telling me that's the edge of your body and beyond mm -hmm. that is air and the camera, etc. Mm -hmm. and the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. um, parallelly, there's the limbic system which is the animalistic yeah, side right. of yeah, your brain. Yeah, all yeah. your roti, kapda, makan, yeah, uh, all your instinctual behaviors. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe that one of the theories is that when you keep meditating and you go till the point of nirvana or moksha enlightenment because mm -hmm. that's the basis of all advanced meditations that you can find in all these Indian yoga schools mm. that you keep meditating, you keep practicing your yoga up till the point where you reach Nirvana. Mm. But physiologically and neurologically, what's probably happening, there's two things. One, you're gaining complete control over your limbic system. Absolutely. Uh, That's correct. Your yeah. upper brain is becoming the more dominant yes. brain. Yeah. Because you said that life is just a series of your upper brain and your lower brain fighting. Fighting, yeah. Uh, but the second thing is that this part of your brain mm. that identifies with the self, with the ego, mm. reduces in activity yes. completely. Mm. Where you then realize that the tip of my fingers is not actually the end of me. Mm. It's probably way beyond that. Mm. Uh, and then I'm sure there's some more stuff that happens that you can't articulate in mm. words. Mm. Uh, but I've been reading a lot about the effects of deep meditative states mm on the brain that's yeah. what fascinates me even though I'm not a neuroscientist but I'm getting to learn a lot through the show mm -hmm. uh, I know for a fact that I've had some very deep meditations where 45 minutes into an hour in mm. I'm still meditating I know that I'm not asleep but I also don't know my name or my gender or what I am or who I am really? okay. I just know I'm like yeah. meditating mm -hmm. because at this point I'm not chanting the chant the chant is chanting me mm -hmm. so I would like to know what your theory is about the neuroscience of whatever I said. No, um, whatever you said is is completely accurate. Okay, and what meditation does really is you know gives more control to your higher brain over the lower brain. That's the fundamental of meditation, and it is so. And eventually, what is what is nirvana? If you read the description of nirvana, it is basically when you realize you are nothing. You know, you come down to your nothingness and then you become part of everything. So the fundamental of that is as long as we believe we are something, something, you can never experience because then something can be hurt. Something can be anything that is something can be hurt, can be damaged. And I learned this in a very interesting lesson. When I was a medical student, I went to learn judo at a class in Dadar. And, you know, I was, I'm the six foot thing. And the teacher's first lesson, he called, he called, he called a small kid, you know, and he said, 
try to hit him. So I can't hit a kid. He said, no, you have to do it. That's the first step. Try to hit him. So while well, I went, I didn't, I went, I did this and tried to hit him. And what the kid did is he just moved, he was standing here. He moved to the side. He took my hand and flipped me over, <laughs> you know. Okay. Now, as normally what you do, if you hit me, I'm something. So I hit back. I counter. So this is life. That is what we do in our life. You do this, I do this and we go on. What did he do? He just moved to the side. No, you know. So what was there now? Nothing. Okay. And then what he used is he took my hand and he flipped me. He used my energy. And that's when I realized the power of nothing. See, there was nothing there when he moved away. There was nothing to hit. And then he just did this. And I went flying on the other side. A small kid. Tossed a six. Do you understand the concept? So it's when you reach that stage of nothingness. Okay, which comes from meditation. But I also say, see, meditation, you know, I believe in meditation. I believe in the power of meditation. However, there's an entire younger generation, okay, who will not accept meditation uh, as something that they would like to do, you know. And for them, I, I, I propose a different form of meditation is having a purpose in life. That is also meditative. If there's something that drives you, if there's something that motivates you, if there's something that wakes you up in the morning, if there's something that keeps you thinking at night, that is a meditative state. Like for you, this show, this is your life now, okay? It's your form of meditation, okay? So uh, once you have that, it, it's an alignment with the thinking of Napoleon Hill that to be successful, to have a definite chief aim in life. Once you have something, then that becomes a meditative state because your mind is now completely, you know, aligned with that. And then in that once, again, you become nothing, you become part of everything. And the most miraculous things happen. When you reach the stage of nothing, everythingness, the right people, and when there's something that you want with all your heart, there's a difference between willing and wishing. All of us wish, you know, you wish you are rich, you wish you are, wish you are successful. There's a difference between willing and wishing. Will is something which you intend where your entire mind, your body, your heart, your cells, your brain, you know, the entire brain power, 100 million neurons that you have are now burning with that one thing. And then what that does is it attracts, it attracts the right amount of money, it attracts the right amount of resources, it attracts people. So whatever you want, instead of you going to get it, it comes to you. Okay. Yeah. How much of the brain is truly locked up? Because there is an internet theory that says that 90% of your brain is actually locked up. Yeah, so we, we don't have accurate figures on that. But I I would say, I would say, def, you know, it could be anywhere between 50 and, I would say about at least half our brain is not okay. completely open to us. What is in the half? So our subconscious, you know, our, our hurts, our fears, our, you know, whatever has happened in the past that we don't want to confront is all locked up over there. Okay. So, um, so that's why meditation, so either meditation, because meditation relieves that, or having a purpose in life, something to do, something that matters to you. That's why, you know, I started this conversation by asking you, I want to know what made you the runway you are today, because that is important. That is a form of meditation. You are actually showing everybody else that when you walk your own path, you can do whatever is that this is something that matters to you, right? So yes, you know, sitting, sitting in meditation is great. It's wonderful. There's nothing more powerful than meditation, right? But there's a generation today that may not want to do it because they think of meditation as something older people do, you know, yoga, you know, it's to be done in an ashram and, you know, so I'm saying having a purpose is another form of meditation. I don't know if that makes sense to you. No, no, I hear you. It's yeah. See, basically when you're talking about dhyana or like yeah. meditation that you yeah. sit down for, 
it always boils down to one of two things coming yeah. back to your breath or coming down to a mantra no, no. or coming back to a visualization mm-hmm. that's the third one no. uh you're basically coming back to an anchor Absolutely. what you're trying no, to say no. is that as long as you have that one force that's anchoring your life yes. uh your neurons align to absolutely all your neurons you align yeah peaceful peaceful yeah and there there there's happiness there's contentment there's joy you make a difference and and the fascinating thing i found is when you're like that things come to you you know mm. otherwise you're going on life chasing you're going and trying to get things once once this is there the right thing the right people you know whatever it is i mean you know i started off working at sign hospital we started practice i've Today I have two hospitals. I have a neurological hospital. I've got an anti-aging hospital. We are shortly opening up a facility in the Bahamas. You know, there's a huge project. We are starting our work there, uh, and and that's that's where a great pride that you know we are going to be right there. The Americas doing the same work. Everything came. The people came. The resources came. The money came. You know, all of, I didn't go looking for anything. It actually came to me. Okay. So when you are in that state, everything everything comes to you. So once you get that and. that that is meditation as well and in that your you know you you become healthier your mind is alert your you know everything else starts uh, moving in a very very uh, synchronized kind of uh, focus space but it's important to take out the worms from the brain first yeah okay <laughs> which i have the, and the example i like to give you know sun the sun can shine on this piece of paper for 1000 years and nothing will happen but if you put a lens what happens it burns you know that if you put a lens it burns so what won't happen with the sun rays for 100 years or 1000 years just putting a lens it it burns that paper why because the rays get concentrated, concentrated. okay so the moment we have that bring about that uh things happen you that's what brings about change that's what brings about innovation okay we have evolved from cavemen to this present state because of that because of people who have evolved innovated uh disrupted the present way of thinking and gone ahead and like you walked your own path I am fascinated by what you've done with your life. Okay, it's like uh, again from a neuroscience perspective, because it's just so amazing that you you had everything and you chose to follow your own path. You made the path by the walking. You didn't you didn't walk on a established road. You walked, and the path got made by your walking. You know, okay. and um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people try to copy what you do, but it's not easy. You know, I mean, it's not easy to to recreate this. I admire that. I admire that about you that you know you chose, and it's not. I know it must not have been easy. I'm sure it wasn't easy. You know, and uh, but you did it, and you've done something with it. And what you're doing now is is amazing. You're reaching out to lakhs of people and giving them insights they might otherwise never have had. Yeah. You know, and that might alter their life. You know, somebody listening to this may just decide that, you know. Let's go for some stem cell therapy. <laughs> no, just say if they just have enough water and exercise, and you know, shift to natural food, and you know, have enough sleep, that might prevent a cancer. Yeah. That might prevent somebody's brain stroke. Yeah. Okay. I mean, on a very spiritual level, yeah. I feel there's also circumstances that dictate too yeah. many too many outcomes of your life. Yeah. Like I think that's been the repeated lesson of mine, even through the show, mm-hmm. that all the most established people that I've met through mm-hmm. the show, mm-hmm. like yourself, mm-hmm. have been established heavily because of the circumstances that mm-hmm. were in their life mm-hmm. from childhood. Absolutely, that's you know, true. Creating your likes and dislikes, etc. uh like i didn't become a doctor because of my fear of blood because when i was a kid mm-hmm. this is like probably my earliest memory and my mother says that this happened when i was two and a half or three mm-hmm. i remember being in a pool of blood and my sister was like looking down at me uh-huh. knowing that she's done something wrong i remember uh-huh. her face uh-huh. and this is probably my earliest memory uh-huh. and there's a big scar on my right hamstring mm-hmm. um 
which my mom says was the first time she had to suture me up mm-hmm. because my leg had gotten stuck in an exercise cycle that my oh, sister was okay. <laughs> pedaling on and all i remember is like a pool of blood mm-hmm. i don't remember feeling pain but mm-hmm. i remember seeing fear on my sister's face and then mm-hmm. i remember my mom stitching me up and seeing fear on her face mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i couldn't i don't remember the pain but i remember that mm-hmm. probably just had a negative association with blood mm-hmm. which didn't allow me to even think of medicine as a career okay so circumstances so that was circumstances that's true so circumstances do decide i mean but my you know one of the things i suggest and this is a lesson this is an interesting lesson i learned in 2001 it's just i'll very briefly say it in 2001 there was a massive earthquake in kutch right it must have been very Boj. young bojia yeah. so i was the, working at the sign hospital and i volunteered to be part of the relief team i said i want to go you know my hospital was saying no you're too senior i said no i want to go so i we were lifted and we went um, and uh, we were posted on the third or fourth day we were asked to we were asked to go to a village very close to the epicenter and when we went there uh, half the people in that village were dead you know half and all the houses were down and we set up a bullock cart i used to, we used to operate on a bullock cart you know actually morning to evening operate on a bullock cart so but when we went there we realized that it was the fourth day when we reached and we found that they were very well organized you know i mean it didn't look like half the people in this place are dead So in the evening we used to sit by the fireside. It was very cold. I used to just talk. To I said, "How come you were, you know, doesn't look like hundred people are dead in this place?" So he told me something interesting that altered my life forever. He said that when this happened, it was on Republic Day, twenty six January, early in the morning. Uh, the village elders got together all the people who were still surviving. Okay, and only two instructions were given. The first instruction: nobody will look at what we have lost. Okay. we will only look at what can still be saved first second everybody was given a job to do you look after the kids you look after food you arrange blankets you arrange everybody it did not matter who you had lost so the woman who was cooking for us she had lost her three kids her husband and her entire house she happened to be in the farm so she was saved but her entire family her entire home everything was gone and what was she doing she was cooking for us okay and that in that moment i realized that these people in the middle of the worst disaster in their life are not looking at what they've lost they're looking at what is still there and their rehabilitation was to do something i mean they've all given jobs it didn't matter that woman should have been crying and crying and crying but instead she was serving us and then i realized in our lives as well there are things that we have and there are things that we don't have and where does our mind focus on what we don't have we are constantly cribbing and crying and complaining about what we don't have we are not enjoying what we have and in that in that disaster situation in the situation full of death i learned a basic lesson of life that there are things we have and there are things we don't have we need to accept what we don't have and make the best of what we have you know and if we could just do that it's like a bottle that is half full you know this cup i can say it's half full and you can say it's half empty and we both are right you look at the half empty you're going to be unhappy you look at the half full and you're going to be content so since then my life's principle has been and that's you see from there this is what happened when i started treating kids with autism i started looking at what they have the whole world looks at what autism kids don't have they look at the fact that they can't talk they look at their behavioral issues and i look at what is special in them and here again i want to i mean of course narendra modi is a bit of i'm, I'm a bit of his fan i'm a hero but he did something amazing you know earlier the word for disability in india was viklang viklang means disabled 
and narendra modi ji officially changed that word to divyang or specially gifted what an amazing just changing that word you know when you say vikalang you look at what they don't have when you say divyang you look at what they have so if in life we could just do that because nobody has everything okay somebody has health but you know may not have wealth somebody has wealth but doesn't have love somebody has love but doesn't have you know prosperity and if you could just keep focusing on what you know we have life everything just everything shifts you know and this lesson from earthquake in kutch is something which i the hospital you know so when people when people come to a hospital that's what they say they say everywhere else we go the focus is on what the kids can't do mm. over here in your hospital the entire approach is on what they can mm. and what if we brought that about in our lives we looked at what we have everything would change you can't change the so one of my life's principles is you can't change the circumstances of your you know what i just had a patient recently tell me something very nice he says it doesn't matter how the story of your life started what matters is how the story of your life ends because that and that is in your control mm. how you started you know so just instead of focusing on how it started let's focus on <coughs> how it ends and if you could just do that one very simple thing i think you know a lot of things will will turn around um i i don't know if this was no interesting to you and your listeners and it was a great conversation mm. i think you're loaded with information yeah and uh, it was just a matter of time before this information would be revealed to the audiences mm-hmm. so it's great that podcasts have now picked up in india yeah. and they're growing yeah. i hope to speak to you in hindi very soon oh we do hindi uh, i'm great yeah. i'm happy to do hindi i think i think everything we've spoken about first i needed to like traverse through it uh-huh. uh and now the next time i see you we'll be creating a hindi podcast for the masses mm-hmm. so doctor thank you thank you uh, pleasure is mine yeah enjoyed a lot uh, just learning from you there's a lot of stuff you've seen <laughs> and figured looking forward to see everything that comes up in the near future okay pleasure is mine thank take you. care thank you sir so that was the episode for today i intend on bringing on a lot more doctors on trs so please tell me in the comment section if you know about anyone else who should be on the show tell me what you thought about this episode tell me how we can improve these biology based conversations lots more to explore lots more to learn and all i want to say is that trs will be back soon another atom bomb of knowledge is coming at you on another episode of trs